Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. But I want to ask you a question today, right at the start. Okay, I wonder if you know who this gentleman was. Okay, this next guy, click, there we go. I wonder if you know, that's the beard that I was after a few months ago. If you'd have let me carry on with that beard, that's what I would have had. Can I just say, when I grew that beard, those of you that know, okay, and I know, I know, I know what you feel about it, because I put it out on social media, should it stay or should it go, and you destroyed my beard, I know that. There is one young person who every time I see him in our youth, he says, I love that beard. I want you to bring, he is my best friend. If you'd have let me carry on, that's what we were looking at, all right? Anyone know who this gentleman was? Okay, let me give you an example. Let me give you a clue. Here's another clue coming up. Next one, Holger, please. Mona Lisa, anyone know who I'm talking about now? Leonardo da Vinci painted The Last Supper, The Vitruvian Man. Okay, this guy was a genius. I mean, not only was he a painter, he was a sculptor, he was an inventor, he was an entrepreneur, he was a pioneer, he did like hydrodynamics, he did engineering, he did sculpting. He was an absolute genius. And then in about 2011, this painting shook the world. This painting is called Salvatore Mundi, which is Latin for the saviour of the world. And in 2011, Art historians all around the world went crazy because they thought this was a genuine Leonardo da Vinci that nobody else had ever seen. In fact, it went to Christie's in New York in 2017 and was sold as a genuine Leonardo da Vinci, which it is, okay? It was sold for, listen to this, $450 million. $450 million. And it was sold to a Middle Eastern sheikh and you'd think, Where would he put it? Where would he hang a painting like that? Surely he'd hang it in the Louvre in Paris with the Mona Lisa or in the Tate Gallery or in a gallery in New York or Chicago. He's hung it on his half a billion dollar yacht. And there's a documentary film just come out called uh, The Lost Leonardo. And 45 times in the film, the question's asked, is this a Leonardo? Is this Leonardo? Is this Leonardo? Nobody asks the question, is this the saviour of the world? Salvatore Mundi, the saviour of the world. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, is it Leonardo? Okay, that's important. That's a bigger question is, is this the saviour of the world? Is this Jesus that we talk about at Easter, the saviour of the world? Because if it's true, my question to you this morning is, if it's true, what will you do? If it's true, what will you do? Last weekend, we celebrated Easter. And if you're a Christian today, you know how great it is to celebrate Easter. But many, many other people came last week who wouldn't say they're Christian follow- uh, Jesus followers. Maybe there's some of you here today. And my question to you today is this. If it's true what we celebrated last weekend, what will you do? The biggest question that you can ever answer is what will you do with Jesus? If it's true that the Salvatore Mundi, the saviour of the world, is Jesus. What will you do with what you know? You see, when we look at the genius of Jesus, and we've, we've looked at this over the last few weeks, we've looked at his life, we've looked at his death, we've looked at his resurrection. The early followers of Jesus, they saw him. They saw him up close and they saw his genius. They saw him die and crucified. They saw him rise again from the dead. They saw the genius of the crucifixion and the genius of the resurrection. But here's the great thing about Jesus. And we're basing this on a book by Erwin McManus called The Genius of Jesus. And in the book, he says this, the genius of Jesus 
is transferable in a way nobody else's genius is. You see, you could spend three years with Leonardo da Vinci. You're not painting the Salvatore Mundi or the Mona Lisa. But these early followers of Jesus spent three years with Jesus and then his genius was transferred to them and they changed the world. And we want to look at that a little bit today and we want to use it as a, like a pivot week to unlock next week, which is called Unlocking Genius. Because we think that the genius of Jesus can live in us and can work through us and can maybe touch and change our world and technically how we're going to do that is I'm going to look a little bit theological with you for a moment this morning, okay? So there are four big, big theological words that are really important to understand Jesus. And if you're newer to faith, this is going to help you. The first one is incarnation. That's a big theological word that describes Jesus being born as a human being. The incarnation, it says in John chapter 1, if you read it from the message, that Jesus moved into the neighbourhood. In other words, he became God, he became fully man, fully human, even though he was fully God and full of God, he was also fully human, the incarnation. And I love this. This is genius. No other faith, no other religious system in the world can cope with this. Okay, they, for them, God is God. He's like, the idea that God would become human is an anathema for many other faiths and religions. But our God in Jesus became like us. Aren't you glad about that? So he knows how you feel. He knows the pain you go through. He knows the anguish. He knows what it is to be hurt and betrayed. It's the incarnation. He came fully into our humanity. But then as he grew, as we celebrated on Good Friday, we then come to the crucifixion. And the genius of the crucifixion is that, is that Jesus took all of the brokenness and the sin and the disconnection that we as human beings have between us and God. He took all of that upon himself. You see, God is not only loving, but God is just and God is righteous. And, he, and something had to happen in order for you and I to be forgiven and have that relationship with God restored. That's the crucifixion. But if it only stayed there, we'd still be in trouble. Three days later, we come to the next one, which is the resurrection, which is when God showed that actually what He'd done by placing mine and your sin and brokenness on Jesus on the cross was effective because He destroyed the last enemy, which is death. And the resurrection is everything. But there's one more thing that's really, really important. 40 days after the resurrection, we come to this last word, which is the ascension. And the ascension is when Jesus went back to heaven. And it's like the circle, if you like, was closed in that sense, but really open so that from that point on now, Jesus says, I'm going back to heaven and then I'm going to send my spirit. And really what's going to happen is that my spirit is going to take who I am and make that live out through you. That's the transferableness, that's a word, of the genius of Jesus. And we're going to look at that today. If you've got a Bible, because it's not going to come up on the screens, okay? We're going to go old school. If you've got a Bible, you can switch it on. Or, or open it up and in locations as well. And it's in Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. And I've asked Olga, who's just been with Beth in the studio with our online crowd, I've asked her to come and to read this passage of Scripture. And I would like to invite all of you in the room and in locations to stand with me if you're willing and able. Is that all right? You know, the Bible, we believe, is so important. It is God's truth for our world. It is God's truth for our lives. So as you listen to this and as you read it, listen to the story and then I want to just talk uh, into the story a few bits. Thanks, Og. 
No worries. Thank you very much. Right, so this is Acts 1, verses 1 to 11, titled, Jesus Taken Up into Heaven. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. That's it. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we look at this incredible story that what you want to say to us, we'll hear. Any words of mine that aren't important, let them go away. Any words from you, Jesus, we want them. We want them. Will you bring them to us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take your seats, guys. And I, I want to just draw out five things from this story, okay? In response to the question, if it's true, what will you do? If it's true that Jesus is the Salvatore Mundi, the Saviour of the world, who died and rose again, what will we do? Well, the first thing I want to say is this. We fix our eyes on him. We fix our eyes on Jesus, right? Because the writer of Acts is, the, is, is Luke. He said in my former book, Theophilus, it's Luke. It's the, the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. The guy that wrote Luke, Luke, okay, he wrote that gospel, wrote Acts as well. And what he says right at the beginning is he says, he says um, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And in Luke chapter 4, there's a really important story where, where Jesus goes into, um, not yet, <laughs> where Jesus goes in, into the temple and, and, and he reads a passage from the Old Testament. And it's the passage I'm going to read in a moment, okay? And it's so important because this is the bit that we need really to get our eyes fully focused on. Here it is from Luke chapter 4. It says this, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Now this is, he's reading from the Old Testament. This is a prophecy of what's to come. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And then he says, Today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, that is me. And literally, he drops the mic and walks out of the room. He doesn't drop the mic because there wasn't a mic. That's an expression, all right? But it's such an amazing thing that he literally, boom, drops the mic, walks out and they're like, wow. And here's the thing. 
When we see Jesus, that's who we fix our eyes on. And Jesus is the one. And this, the Bible passage says that he's come to proclaim good news. That's the gospel. The euangelion we looked at a few, a few months ago. The good news of the gospel of Jesus. You know, I hear so many Christians at the moment on social media. They say, we don't talk about sin enough. We don't talk about wrath enough. And we don't talk about judgment enough. Jesus didn't. Jesus came with good news and with freedom and with recovery and with grace and with love. And when he did talk about sin and wrath and judgment, it was always to the religious people who'd missed the point of what God is all about, which is a relationship with his broken, fallen humanity. And we've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. Christ's mission is our mission. You know that, don't you? you're a follower of Jesus, Christ's anointing is our anointing. And when he says the Spirit of the Lord is on me to proclaim freedom, that's what's true for us now. It's transferable by the power of the Spirit living within us. So we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. You see, I know this truth, okay? You steer towards what you stare at, right? So like if you're in a car and you find yourself looking at something, before you know where you are, you're steering in that direction. You steer towards what you stare at. And I wonder post-Easter whether many of us, whether you say you're a Jesus follower or not, need to, need to maybe reassess, where am I staring at? What, what's got my attention? What's got my gaze? Is it money? Is it relationships? Is it entertainment? Is it having a good time? Great things, all those. Or is it Jesus? I'm going to fix my, if it's true, he's the Salvatore Mundi. He's the saviour of the world. We've got to fix our eyes on him. Secondly, we plant our feet firmly on resurrection ground. In the 40 days after the resurrection, before the ascension, before he goes up, Jesus, the Bible says, he appears to these men and these women. He shows himself. He gives them proof that he's risen from the dead. Why does he do that? Because he knows that up ahead of them is persecution, opposition, pain, disappointment. They need to be anchored in something. They need to be anchored in the truth that Jesus is risen from the dead. This is the ground we plant our feet in, isn't it? As I said it last week, if the resurrection isn't true, it's game over. If it is true, it's game on. The resurrection is not a belief that grew up in the early church. The resurrection is the belief that the early church grew up around. Everything is about the resurrection. You could say to me that it wasn't seven literal physical days, the creation. You could say to me about dinosaurs. You could say about Adam and Eve. You could say all kinds of things. My faith does not crumble on that kind of stuff. The only thing it does is the resurrection. If the resurrection isn't true, Paul says, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. But hallelujah, it is true, isn't it? You got very excited last Easter Sunday. It is still true this Sunday like it was last Sunday. So we plant our feet firmly on the resurrection ground. Number three, and I want to dwell on this. We ask daily to be filled by the Spirit. Jesus says, okay, I'm going Wait for the gift my Father has promised, the Holy Spirit. We wait and then we ask daily for Jesus to fill us with His Spirit. Now, now some of you who are newer to all this stuff, you may think, what's all this filling with the Spirit? Some of you who have been around church a while, 
Maybe you haven't heard it for a moment. This is so, so important. Why, why should we be filled with the Spirit? Do you know why? Number one, because we can be. Because we can. Because Jesus says, you can be filled with my Spirit. I mean, why wouldn't we want that? If the genius of Jesus is transferable by His Spirit, why wouldn't we want that? Because when we are filled by His Spirit, we're filled with His nature. We're filled with His presence. We're filled with who He is. Why wouldn't we want that? You see, it's always been, it's never been about what we can do for God. It's always been about what God can do for, in and through us. Intimacy has always been our destiny. Like it's always been our destiny to be intimate with Jesus by His Spirit. And I think coming out of the season that we've been in, and I don't want to keep talking about COVID because we're trying to come out of that, although there's more around at the moment than there has been. Anyway, we won't get into that. But listen, as we do try and come out of this season, my sense for many people, and having been with thousands of Christians the week before last at Spring Harvest, you know, it's been two years since there's been a lot of Christians come together. My sense is that we are a dry people right now. We have become so disappointed, so disconnected. We are desperately to be filled with the Spirit of Jesus. And when we're filled with His Spirit, that genius is transferable. And we're going to give some moments and some space today to invite the Holy Spirit to come. It's so important. We're filled with the Spirit because we can be. But also we're filled with the Spirit because what fills us shapes us. Right? What fills us shapes us. That's true of alcohol. When you're filled with alcohol, it shapes you. It shapes your behaviour. It's true with social media. It's true with the media. It's true with attitudes. It's true with bitterness. It's true with loads of things. What, sh- what fills you shapes you. And one of the terms in the New Testament for filled with the Spirit doesn't mean poured like with water. Okay, that's one meaning. But there's another meaning of the original word. And to be filled by means to be controlled by. If you're filled, it isn't just liquid, it's I'm controlled by that which fills me. So what fills me, controls me and shapes me. Which is why Paul says, don't get drunk on wine because that leads to debauchery and all of the kinds of embarrassing stuff that you don't want to repeat. But instead be filled, be controlled by the Spirit of God. We need to be filled with Jesus. If this is true, what will you do? Well, well, we'll fix our eyes on Jesus. We'll plant our feet firmly on resurrection ground. And then we'll ask daily to be filled by His Spirit. But then number four, we will refuse to get distracted. And, and I love this because then in verse six, they said, oh, that sounds great. Like you're going to fill us with the Spirit and, and we're going to do what you did. That's great. So when are you going to restore Israel? In other words, they got distracted by external signs and by what's going on in the world and And I see that so much at the moment. Christians everywhere are distracted. We're distracted by things that don't matter that much. Guys, can I just say, what really matters is what you already know. You know, so there's a verse in Deuteronomy. It's one of my favourite verses, Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us and our children that we might follow this law. In other words, the secret things, the things I don't know anything about, They belong to God. The revealed things belong to us and our children that we may just get on and do it. And yet so many people are focused on the secret things. Like, when's Jesus coming back again? Like, what does this really mean? Like, what is this conspiracy theory true? And yet Jesus basically says to these disciples, when they ask this question, He basically says to them, it's none of your business. What I'm going to do, 
Do you know what? I don't even know when I'm coming back. Only the Father knows that. What you do know is that you're on a mission, so get on with it. What you do know is that there is a world desperately in need of me and of my kingdom. Get on with it. What you do know is that the genius of me, the genius of Jesus is transferable by the power of your spirit. So you need me daily. What you do know is that you need power that you don't already have. The word power in this passage here is the word dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite from. We need that kind of dynamite. You know, what we do know is that we need the power of God living in us if we are to affect the mission that Christ has for us. You see, there's a massive thing going on here. And then he says, and then you'll be my witnesses. And that word witness is the word martyrs. It's where we get the word martyr from. Someone laying down their life. But really it means an eyewitness. You've seen it. You know it's true. So what will you do? Be filled with my spirit. And don't get distracted by anything else. And then the last thing I want to say is this. So I think. If this is true, what will you do? Well, we'll fix our eyes on Jesus. Good thing to do, yeah? We'll plant our feet firmly on the resurrection ground. Um, We will ask daily to be filled by His Spirit. We will refuse to be distracted. And then number five, and maybe this is the most profound of all, we get on with it. We get on with it. Because what was happening is so real. I want to use you, you five guys as an example. Would you just come and stand at the front of me? I haven't, I'm sorry to the production crew. I haven't said I'm going to do this, so we haven't rehearsed it. So you're just going to have to go with me. I want these five to stand at the front. If, if you can get a camera on these guys as well. Is that all right? Drop a camera. Come on, you've got to work. Come on. You fell asleep there, the camera guys. Anyway, so I want you to imagine. Just step forward a little bit, okay? Step forward a little bit. Basically, you're going to have to use your imagination with some of them, okay? Because the... the, the the people in Acts chapter 1 were mostly teenagers and people in their 20s. Which is why you'll have to use your imagination with some, all right? But, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. But basically, as Jesus ascended, the Bible says they looked up into the sky. Can you look up in the sky? And I think they were looking up and they looked a little bit gormless. See why I picked these five, can't you? I'm joking, I'm joking. And they, their mouths were open. Are you with me? Are they, are they doing it with me here? This is completely unrehearsed, okay? They're, and they were looking. And Jesus went. And they were still looking, gormless. See? Great actors. And, and they, their mouths were open. And then these two angels came along and said, Oi, what are you doing? He's gone. He's gone. And yet you guys are standing here, staring into the sky, gormless, wishing, hoping, looking, and the, the angels tap him on the shoulder and say, he's gone. He's told you what to do. Get on with it. Little round of applause for our willing, willing. <laughs> Great little bow there, Laura. And it's just that, I just, I just think it's such a comical picture because they're staring and they're like, gormless. And it's like, we get on with it. If it's true, what will you do? We'll get on with it. We'll fix our eyes on Jesus. We'll plant our feet firmly in the resurrection ground. We'll ask daily to be filled by His Spirit. We'll refuse to be distracted and then we'll get on with it. Because I'll tell you what, our world is in desperate need of the genius of Jesus right now. If you don't know that, I don't know where you are or where you've been living. And Jesus says, when this comes, okay, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when He said that, it's shocking. Because to the Jewish listeners, the God bit, okay, their faith was only about them, the Jews. It wasn't about Jews and Gentiles. 
You know, about, about Jews and Samaritans. That's like, if you remember the 90s, and, and, and this, this country is in the news, and don't get me started on this one, but you remember Rwanda in the 90s. It's like the Hutus and the Tutsis, these tribes that killed each other. You're going to cross boundaries and you're going to love each other. It's like Catholics and Protestants, reds and blues, black and white, Ukrainians and Russians. That's what this mission means. That we're going to cross these boundaries, that we're going to cross these barriers. And we can only do that when we're filled with the Spirit of Jesus and we're going to get on with it. Guys, we are living in a world right now which has more crises than any of us have seen in our lifetime, in my opinion. Let me give you the five that I think are the big ones right now. We're in an economic crisis. There is hardly any countries in the world that are not technically in recession right now. We're living in an economic crisis. We're living in an environmental crisis. What we are doing to our planet is frightening. And many of you are aware of that and many of you aren't. But I tell you what, it's a crisis and we need to respond to that crisis. We are in an ethical crisis, aren't we, right now? An ethical crisis where, where we don't even know who to trust anymore. Where, where we're not, not sure whether our leaders lie, tell the truth, don't lie, don't even know when they're doing either one. We just don't know. Let alone some of the other issues that we're trying to grapple with in terms of morality, sexuality, identity. All of these, we are in an ethical crisis. We're also in an evangelical crisis in terms of the church. So many high profile Christian leaders with scandals, with documentaries, with fallen morally, with all kinds of stuff. And, and again, that just breaks my heart. But we're in a crisis right now. We're in an ecclesiological crisis. An ecclesiological, if that's a big word, I know that. That's the way we do church, the way that looks like. You know, they reckon now in the UK, 5% of the UK are actively involved in church on a kind of regular basis. That's the lowest percentage ever in, in any memory, not living memory, ever in the history of our country. We're in a crisis. We're in a crisis. But Jesus is alive. Sorry? Jesus is alive, right? That's what we celebrated last week. And if it's true, what will you do? Because I can sit and moan about the Prime Minister or I can sit and moan about the church or I can be critical about other people like so many Christians are at the moment. Or I can say, do you know what? That does nothing for anything. But when I fix my eyes on Jesus, because you steer towards what you stare at, when I plant my feet firmly on the resurrection ground, when I ask daily to be filled by the spirit of the genius of Jesus, when I refuse to be distracted and then when I get on with it, who knows what God could do in and through me, right? And I don't know about everything else, but I know about this church, we're going to get on with it. We're going to get on with the mission. And I know there's lots of people, and maybe you're watching online, who haven't been back to church, and maybe they won't come back, I don't know. We'll connect with you however, however we can, and we'll figure that out. But I'll tell you what, there's loads of people who don't know Jesus who desperately need to. And so we're going to get on with it. We're going to get on. Maybe you're someone today watching online or in a location or here in the room and you don't know Jesus. You've not given your life to Jesus, to the Salvatore Mundi, the Saviour of the world. You can do that today. We would love to give you an opportunity. But if you have, my final question to you is this, and it's a great quote I found a couple of weeks ago from a lady called Mary Oliver. Tell me what you plan to do with your one wild and precious life. You've only got one life. You've only got one life. It was a great honour last Tuesday to do a funeral service here for Val Devons and to honour Graham, her husband who died two years ago in lockdown, two of the people in the church that were here right in the early days. 
And, and, and it's always a thrill when you, when, can you put that quote back up please, Olga, and keep it up. When, when you do a funeral for people who you know have followed Jesus all their life, and you think, you've only got one life, and it's a wild and a precious life, what are you going to do with it? I'm not talking about like changing the world. I'm not talking about being the Prime Minister. I'm not talking about writing books. I'm not talking about all that stuff. Just in the ordinary of life where you're like, I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus today. And as I go to work, my feet is planted firmly on the resurrection ground. And I'm asking daily for the Spirit to fill me. And I'm not going to get distracted. I'm going to get on with it. In the ordinary, in the supermarket, in the town, with your neighbours, with your family in your school, in your college, in your uni. And I'm just going to be like that because Salvatore Mundi, the saviour of the world, has changed my life. So I'm not going to stand staring into the sky going, I'm going to get on with it. I'm going to get on with it. And I want to invite some of you to make that commitment today as well. That you say post-Easter, with all of those questions I've got, I'm going to get on with it. I'm going to get on with the mission that Jesus has given me. Because Christ's mission is our mission and Christ's anointing is our anointing. So I want to invite you today into a little bit of response. We've got loads of time today where we're going to worship. We're going to connect with Jesus. I want to invite you. Let's, let's just close our eyes for a minute. And this isn't, this isn't about anything else other than closing your eyes might just give you an opportunity just to connect with Jesus a little bit more just to take that distraction away. and Maybe for you today, and if you're in our location, I want to invite you to do this as well. And if you're online, I want to invite you to do this as well. Just close your eyes for a moment. And if today you know that you need to be filled again with the Spirit of Jesus, we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. And if you say, hey, I want to be filled with His Spirit again. Maybe it's been so long since you've sensed His presence. Then just as I begin to pray, I want to invite you to stand. You just stand as I pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We welcome you here. We ask you to come and touch lives. Would you come and fill us with your presence? Some of us are dry. Some of us feel broken and disappointed. Some of us, some of us feel really in despair right now. Some of us are facing health challenges and family challenges and we feel so tired and so weak and Holy Spirit we know that we need the dynamis the power of your presence so God we welcome you and if as you stand why don't you lift your hands just lift them however you want to just to welcome him and invite him into your life Holy Spirit would you come Holy Spirit I want to pray for you in locations as well. You stand right where you are. Yeah, you're looking at a screen, but the Holy Spirit is there with you by His power and by His presence. So Lord, we drink from you today. We drink from you. Just like thirsty people that get into the house and get that tap on and stick our head underneath the tap. God, we drink from you today. But Lord, more than just drinking, we ask that you would fill us, that you would control us, that you would shape us by your power and by your presence. And Lord, those of us that are going back after this service to difficult situations, 
God, I pray that as we go back, we'll sense that you're on the inside of us, that you're giving us that resource we don't have. You're giving us that reservoir of resilience that we're going to draw from. Holy Spirit, we invite you. Fill our hearts, fill our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. I want to invite you all to stand if you're willing and able and in locations as well. And we're going to worship and sing. But you know, I want to do one more thing before we finish. And I want to give you an opportunity if you've not given your life to Jesus, the Salvatore Mundi, the Saviour of the world. The question isn't, did Leonardo paint it? The question is, is he the Saviour of the world? And if he is, what will you do? So again, I want to ask you, invite you to close your eyes for a moment. And if there is anybody here and you want to give your life to Jesus today, maybe you're in a location or online and you want to say, yeah, I've never really done it. It was so good last week. See so many people do that. I want to give you an opportunity to do that again. So if that's you, I want to invite you just to put your hand up and you're saying to God, thank you guys. Anybody else? Anybody else? I want to invite you. If there's anybody here at the front, at the back, anyone in locations, you pop your hand up if that's you. Someone would love to talk with you. Anybody else? So God, now as we worship you, we thank you for lives surrendered to you. And God, as we worship you, we are reminded that you are the risen Jesus. You are the Salvatore Mundi. You are the Saviour of the world. And so what we're going to do is we're going to keep our eyes fixed on you with our feet planted firmly on resurrection ground, being filled daily by your Spirit, refusing to be distracted. We will get on with it. The mission of seeing your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship, let's worship.